Kia ora, I'm Tim McCready and this is Too Much Talk, a podcast from Onihanga FM. Way back in 1893, Elizabeth Yates became mayor of Onihanga and the first female mayor in the British Empire. She famously said, There is in both borough councils and in parliament too a great deal too much talk. Over the coming weeks, we'll be cutting through the talk and chatting with candidates and commentators ahead of the local body election about their vision for Onihanga and the surrounding suburbs. On this episode of Too Much Talk, we continue our conversations with local board candidates for the Mongakeke subdivision and speak with Debbie Burrows and Don Allen, who represent CNR and are incumbents on the local board. Also part of the CNR team and currently on the local board is Tony Woodcock, who unfortunately has been unable to join us. He is in Australia dealing with personal matters at the time of the recording. Tony owns three hospitality venues in Mongaki Tamaki, including the Good Home Pub in Onihanga. Well, kia ora, Debbie and Don. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for being here. Kia ora. Welcome, guys. Uh, you're all here as incumbents uh, on the local board of the Mongakeke subdivision, uh, and both of you, along with uh, Tony, represent CNR, that's Communities and Residents, and you're all running again, hoping to maintain your role on the local board. So I thought I'd begin with the obvious and give you each up to two minutes to just tell us a little bit about yourself, and we'll do it in alphabetical order by first name. So Debbie, that means uh, you're first up. Kia ora. Um, thanks, Tim. Yes, so I have been on the local board now for... Uh, six years. I actually began the journey um, 12 years ago where I first put my hand in the in the running. Um, so I've sort of, I've, I've had my mind on uh, what I could do to support the community through this avenue for, for quite some time. Um, I've been a business owner in the area and the library, cafe and function venue. Um, I was the person who, who first bought that to Onihanga, the old library building there. Um, that was in 2007. Uh, and uh, sold that in 2013 and since then I've been working in the not-for-profit space Um, and so uh, I yeah I'm a mum of uh, two Uh, I I just have a lot to to contribute um, and it's and there's a lot of unfinished business out there you know due to COVID Um, and yeah that's that's me. That's great. Unfinished business. We'll dive some more into that uh, in, in just a little bit. But um, but Don, uh, over to you. Your two minutes. Yes, yeah, so I've I've lived in the community, uh, this local community now for well over thirty years. Uh, I've been a small business owner myself. Uh, I used to own a, a local courier business and a dairy distribution business back in the day. And uh, over the last few years, I've been working as the Onihanga Community Constable uh, with a prime focus on community safety and empowerment. So. Uh, I'm out there every day amongst our community seeing what the needs are and I can see where the need arises for additional uh, focus on some of the areas of our community, our youth, our crime, the well-being, and also the economy of our local area. So uh, I'm out there every day in our community um, engaging with our locals. I see the best and unfortunately the worst of some of uh, what's going on in the communities and very concerned. Also, I've been in uh, the local board now, this is my second term, so six years, same with Debbie, uh, and she's dead right. We've got a lot of unfinished business that we need to make sure we see right through to fruition and that we represent our constituents. Great, thanks, and thanks thanks for being here. Uh, so I wanted to, to also ask, uh, despite all three of you, including Tony being from CNR, you don't have a majority on the entire board right now with the Tamaki subdivision having four 
uh, Labour local board members. And just to remind everyone listening, the Mongakiki subdivision, which together with Tamaki makes up the Mongakiki Tamaki local board, uh, only has three local board members uh, of the total seven. So could I just ask one of you to explain uh, a little bit about how the balance of power works on the local board for Mongakiki Tamaki? How how do with three three of you there from CNR and, and Labour on the other side, how are you able to effectively fight for our half of the ward with with that minority? Yeah, I'll take that one, Don. Yes, yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, look, um, it's actually worked really well uh, up until about 18 months ago. Uh, we are very fortunate, um, particularly in the first term, we had a very collaborative local board across both subdivisions. Um, and there was a sort of an unwritten, unspoken expectation that um, because it is such a, a large um, ward that those who live and represent and are elected within a, a certain subdivision would have the overriding um, decision making I guess even if we were um, you know uh, there was a different number of, um, of us as representatives um, and that worked really well um, for the majority of, of like I say the, the last two terms until 18 months ago and we started to see some some divisions happen. Um, the first occurred when I lost the opportunity to be deputy chair, which in the past there'd always been an unspoken rule that each subdivision would either be chair or deputy chair. And that might seem quite minor, but it actually is your representation at the governing body. So it is quite significant that the constituents of this area didn't get a representative at the governing body table for particular um, confidential meetings and being part of those workshops. Um, and so um, we've noticed more and more that decisions are being made about our, our subdivision um, uh, by the members on the other side. And, and yes, we should. We should have an interest across the entire ward without a doubt. Um, but it is a part-time job. It's not a full-time job. And so the knowledge that you have in those part-time hours certainly don't constitute um, the same as somebody who lives and breathes and drives through the area um, on a daily basis or, or uses the public amenities and those sorts of things. So, um, so it's not a... Um, not wanting to take responsibility of the entire ward. It's just what's feasible and what's not. So, so yes, it has been challenging. We've had a few issues around um, the division of our local transport capital fund, um, where the subdivision has been um, unfairly um, invested in as a result of some decision making. Um, and, and also obviously we saw the low traffic neighbourhoods where um, despite the fact our constituents were saying that's something they didn't want um, and we voted uh, for them to be discontinued, um, our decision was overridden at a local board um, meeting and the four Tamaki representatives voted to keep it. Right, right. It's interesting you, you mentioned the low traffic neighbourhood. Um, Obviously, throughout the course of uh, this podcast series, that's come up a couple of times. So I, I do have some um, some questions I do want to ask on that uh, shortly. But but that's good context. How do you think then, um, sort of going forward? Let's just say uh, the three the three of you as CNR are, are reappointed to the local board. How do you think that relationship can be improved over the next term? Well, first of all, we're hoping that um, we'll get some representatives um, from CNR on the on the Tamaki side, and we've really been fighting to get that across the line. Um, not because we want um, unfair influence, but we just don't want to see this inequity again in this um, this political battle battle happening, which we've never seen before. 
Um, look, I think it's um, it's salva- salvageable. Um, it worked really well in the past. Um, there's a few, right. you know, different personalities that we just have to learn to work together a bit differently. Um, there's a few personal agendas coming through as well, and, and that causes a few clashes. Um, but we're all big people. We can put those things aside. Um, and I guess from our perspective... Uh, I guess we were in a in a bit of a, a space of familiar, familiar I can never say that word familiarity um, and comfortableness um, uh, where you know we just thought things were going to carry on that the way that they always have which right. is very fair and equitable and realizing that actually that's not the case um, but it is actually one of the priorities of why I'm running again um, to actually you know look at the local government act and see how we can actually um, uh, you know write that unfairness um, you know it's based on an out-of-date um, consensus that uh, you know really we've had a lot of uh, intensification in both areas since then and, and whether that is truly representative um, I think that needs to be looked at and also from a cost saving uh, perspective you know if you actually look at the uh, efficiency or the need for the tamaki side to have an extra person what does that extra person actually achieve um, you know we only get paid 40 odd thousand dollars a year but over 10 years that's a playground um, you know I think I'd rather a playground um, than have that extra person regardless of which side of the subdivision that I live in. Right. Okay. Oh, well, um, a few few things to watch then <laughs> uh, into the future. All right. Well, I'll, I'll switch gear a little bit. I've got a couple of specific questions um, for each of you. I'll start with you, Don, um, give you a chance to to talk. Um, you, you've been the local community constable for the past, I think, 12, about 12 years. Would you say that crime in Onihanga has risen dramatically in the last 18 months, as appears to be the case um, from, from many people's perspective? Over the last 18 months, yes, crime has risen. Uh, however, if you're looking over the time of the 12-year period, we did, see a, we did see a huge decline in crime across the suburbs, especially related to property-related crime, burglaries and vehicle-related. So we did see a huge decrease in crime. Uh, I monitor the crime monthly. Uh, I write a community news, uh, police newsletter and deploy our uh, local community patrol. So I'm aware of... Uh, crime stats, how they compare from one much to the other. Now, unfortunately, crime has increased over the last 18 months, but this is nowhere as bad as what it was 12 years ago, that's for sure. We don't have the local youth gang crime that we used to see in the area. Uh, a lot of our community centres are, are providing program for youth, uh, trying to engage with those youth and keeping them up. Uh, giving them a purpose and a direction as well. Unfortunately, the youth that we are seeing come to our attention are the ones that are falling out of the justice, uh, sorry, out of uh, the educational system. And unfortunately, we need a different strategy for dealing with that. But in relation to crime prevention in our, our community, it requires a collaborative pr- approach between our residents, police and our local board. No one agency can tackle this crime issue alone, the police especially, and we do need the support of our constituents to be more vigilant and report uh, as much as they can to us. A bit like local board issues and council problems, if there's a problem in our community and it's not being addressed or called in, we have no idea of what those needs or what those issues are. Right. And, and again, there's a simple way of doing it by the 301 number. So there's a lot of issues that can be done and rectified through the buy-in from our community. So a more, more engaged community is one that is a lot more safer and, again, the perception of crime is a lot lower. I don't mm. think that Onahanga should have any lesser level of service by council uh, than they would in Mission Bay area. 
they tell us there's no difference. However, I think more affluent areas, people are more inclined to complain about local issues where, you know, the lower socioeconomic areas we see in areas like in Glenninus and Tamaki, where if you're not raising your voice, it won't get heard. So it's importance of all these uh, agents but have a collaborative working relationship with our neighbourhoods. Mm. Um, just a, a bit of a follow-on from that. When we spoke with Troy Elliott, who's, of course, the councillor candidate for CNR, he mentioned that one one priority he'd like to introduce um, – uh, to prevent crime is more lighting around train stations in particular. Um, would you agree that that's something that, um, that that our area needs? I think he was talking specifically about Ellerslie, but if we think about maybe the Onihunga train station, do you think that's that would be helpful, something like that? Uh, not necessarily the Onihunga train station, but he's referring to something like crime prevention through environmental design. So making right. places, uh, some places you want to increase lighting uh, and reduces black spots. Other places where you increase lighting encourages people to hang out those locations. So you have to be very careful about uh, how you can implement those changes. Uh, but train stations, definitely, the Ellerslie train station, we've seen a lot of uh, mm-hmm. a lot of negative behaviour in those areas, and those sort of things need to need to be addressed. So increasing lighting in those locations is a great idea. And, yep. and again, it's all about uh, improving the security for an area, either making it more attractive or less attractive for those troublesome people. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Um, uh, Debbie, question for you. You've got experience in business and not for pro- in the not-for-profit sectors. As you said, you've been a business owner uh, in the area. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about what role the local board has in promoting business for Mongakiki and what kind of things it can do to kind of reinvigorate the area after, after COVID? Yeah, so when uh, we first joined the board uh, six years ago, um, the Onihanga Business Association, which is um, the, uh, they're, not, they're not a function of council, but they are funded through targeted rates um, through uh, the businesses in the area. Um, and they're also eligible to additional funding through local boards. Um, and when we first came on board, the, the business associations were having to put their hand out every single time they had a new initiative or go into the general funding pool um, to be able to um, uh, uh, fund some of the work that they were doing, which, you know, I'd been uh, vice president of the OBA, so I was very aware of how that can interfere and, and make things difficult in terms of planning and putting your strategy um you know, in, into um, reality. So um, we got it across the line that actually the business associations get a designated amount of money, um, depending on, on each of the different areas that they're working on, and give them the license to be able to do what they know is, is needs to be done for the local businesses. Um, local board, um, you know, we, we are there to advocate for and be the voice of, um, but we're not there to make the overriding decisions when it comes to things that need to happen on the ground. Um, so funding is a big thing and, and supporting um, the business associations and giving them the license and the authority to do that what they know they should be doing. Um, there's other things that you know we we help fund in terms of local projects. You know we've we've funded crime prevention programs. We've funded um, other um, programs that happen at the community centre, youth programs. We've got a strategic partnership fund um, that uh, uh, you know is is all about um, bringing uh, grassroots. Uh, social enterprise through the pipeline. Some of those are uh, in local town centres as well. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So it, there's lots of, I guess, lots of little things rather than one big thing because, you know, we are there to represent the whole of the community and business is part of it. Um, another thing that's coming through, or a few things, is around the parking strategy and, and wanting to take street parking away. Um, you know, we're, the CNR team are um, not advocates for that at all. Um, we recently put a resolution to um, Auckland Transport to bring the train line back, the direct train line to Britomart. Mm. That was um, our CNR team that put that forward. Auckland Transport because we know that if um, tourists are having you know to stop and change trains at Newmarket <clears throat> that's where they're going to get off and shop right um, so so yeah there's like I say there's lots of little things but they can all add up and and if there's more we should be doing or the local businesses want us to do more then we're only a phone call away. Mm, um, yeah, no, that's that's really interesting to hear. Um, I did have a question for Tony but I think um, uh, on reflection uh, I think Either of you would uh, probably be quite happy to jump in and answer this on his behalf. So I, and I'll ask it to you, and, and you can you can chip in. In his profile, he mentions that he calls out the constant battles that everyone faces with traffic and excessive red tape, and councils poor community consultation. So I was just going to ask uh, if you could provide an example of something that the local board has done uh, in this area uh, over the last three years to, I guess, not only call it out but also make a change for Mongakiki residents. And uh, I'm predicting you might you might say the low traffic neighbourhood, <laughs> uh, but over to you. Should I do this one? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, the the low traffic neighbourhood. Um, you know, there, there's this big um, misconception that um, our team are anti bikes and anti public transport and and all pro cars, and that's not not at all the case. Um, with the low traffic neighbourhood, that all the decision making of that happened from a local board level right in the um, grips of COVID. Um, and it was sold to us as a street calming measure, um, which, you know, those of us who live in the area, and, and Tony knows this firsthand of all his um, his patrons that come to his, um, his, you know, the good home, his pub, um, you know, everyone complains, you know, about the traffic at some point, whether it's um, the congestion, whether it's the, they can't get a car park or whether it's the people speeding through the streets at all hours of the night. So when this opportunity came up to be able to use this funding provided by government as a result of, of COVID, um, it seemed like a, you know, a, a great opportunity for Onihanga. You know, we've always been a bit innovative and and wanting to give things a go. Um, little, um, you know, to our surprise, I guess, was when it actually came out, it was about dead-end streets and it was about, um, you know, people being able to play on streets and have picnics when, you you know, we've got places for those sorts of things. And I guess what um, we found the most frustrating of it all was it was regarded um, that, well, it was considered that the pilot was, in fact... The consultation process. Um, so there was a there was I guess an appreciation that well the the residents aren't going to like it so let's just do it and then you know then they'll they'll learn to live with it um, and everything will be okay. Well, actually, our residents didn't like it, didn't agree with it. Um, and and it's really concerning that the government are now putting through um, or a proposed policy called reshaping streets that can see that type of um, program done right across the country, not just Auckland, um, where they see 
pilots as the process of consultation rather than actually going out to people first. Um, so, you know, there's so many unintended consequences with that um, that are actually quite scary. And I get told by um, opposition members that these aren't fearful and then it's nothing to be scared of. Well, you know, I beg to differ when you've got um, a fire truck, and this is this is fact, a fire truck on the um, stuck behind a blue box looking at the flames and the and the um, smoke of a house that they're meant to be getting to, they can't get there because the blue box is in the way. That happened in Onihanga because of the low traffic neighbourhood. You know, so, so what needs to happen before we say, actually, go back to the basics, get the public involved, bring people along on the journey. You know, we, we don't live in a, a dictatorship. We live in a democracy. Um, and I know my role is not to make decisions for people. It's to make decisions with people. Right. Okay. So, so just to clarify, um, when the when the um, the low traffic neighbourhood project was initially suggested, CNR was supportive of it, but you weren't supportive of sort of what it became. Is that have I got that right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. So it was um, it was sold to us that there would be street calming measures, um, which could be, and it, and it was very um, blue skies approach, I guess. But the, the likes of um, Jada bars or, um, Don, what are those? Speed cushions. Speed cushions mm. and, you know, making some cushion? streets. Sorry, I'm not familiar with it. It's very similar to a Jada bar, but it doesn't go the, the full width of the road. Uh, so they're uh, okay. very small okay. cushions of, of speed humps, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But also closing off, um, you know, one part of an uh, of an exit or an entry of a road. So not making it entirely one way, but making... Um, an entry point or an exit point uh, one way you know we've got examples of that in Onihanga and and I think you know um, that there, there there's definitely a need for that type of thing to stop some of the traffic I mean we've seen the rubbish trucks using um, Arthur Street uh, and sorry not Arthur Street Victoria Street um, because now we've got the roundabout there it makes things so much easier the Victoria Street um, roundabout so um, you know, we're keen to, to look at how we can reduce the traffic and reduce the speeds in those areas. So, of course, you know, we were open to the idea. Um, we were not open, you know, even right down to um, how the consultation took place, we were not aware of how that would happen. Um, we were told that there would be extensive consultation, that it involved street meetings, um, signs, um, mailbox, letters, all of those sorts of things. Um, and in reality, that didn't really occur. Right. Yeah. I think from what I can understand, one of the big issues was that this was done right at the time of sort of COVID, right? And, and so it didn't allow for that, uh, you know, as, as much community consultation perhaps as, as, you know, you might expect. A question that I, I did want to ask about the, the fire engine um, point that you made, uh, as sort of the I guess as the local board representatives from Monga Keke, what responsibility do you do you have on the local board to communicate the the changes that have been made, or did that sit with uh, those that sort of proposed the project? Do you, do you think? Look, I think um, that that sits with Auckland Transport. Um, I think anything that happens to the roading infrastructure, um, the emer all emergency services should be notified. Um, I don't see that that um, responsibility lies with local board. But I tell you what, from now on in the future, um, if these things were to happen, we'll be door knocking um, as, an, as an extra um, backup to make sure it doesn't happen. But 
we shouldn't we shouldn't be having to do that. Um, you know, that's not an efficient or effective um, poli- uh, process. Um, and it's not our role as governors either. Mm. Just while we're talking about uh, safer streets, I know one of your policies uh, at CNR is to work with, uh, is to try and make it easier for children to get to school on foot or on bike. Um, I think I saw on your on your website. Um, what Could you give a concrete example? I guess you've mentioned speed bumps, uh, speed cushions, was, it, was, the, was that the, the term? Um, are, there, are there other things that you think could be done in uh, Onihanga uh, or broader Mongakeke to make, uh, make the streets a little bit safer for sort of all users? I think uh, another thing we need to look at, especially for Onihanga area, is the direction and flow of our traffic uh, across the entire area. Uh, we've got some major intersections that have some uh, really high-risk high locations, and I don't believe that we're being listened to uh, in our advocacy for improvements in those areas. We've got a local primary school, Onihanga Primary School, right by an intersection of Arthur Street and Salwyn Street, down the bottom of that hill. Now, that's been a very high-risk uh, intersection with a number of very uh, serious uh, crashes there over a number of years. And I myself was involved one, with one there a couple of years ago and towing down uh, Salon Street heading south. Uh, a vehicle approached from the left. They were stopped at the stop sign on Arthur Street, pulled out right in front of my police cop car, and I T-boned this vehicle on the left-hand side of it. And you're talking about a marked police car. Now, that intersection... I've been advising uh, Auckland Transport for a number of years that it's only a matter of time by uh, before a child from that local primary school is hurt or mm. killed from traffic coming down that area. And one of the things with the low traffic neighbourhood going ahead, I thought it would be an enhancement to the area. But after advocating for some serious improvements of that local intersection, seeing Ant- uh, Wakato Kotahi come along and put another project in the area, which wasn't going to be for the benefit of everybody, I think was quite a disappointment. And the fact that they weren't listening to us, listening to our constituents, um, and they were in opposition to that program, I think a lot more needs to be done. Uh, look at the whole year in relation to safety. Another key consideration would be the intersection of Grey Street and Onihunga Mall. Uh, we've been advocating for a roundabout there. I've been advocating for that for well over three years, even with the last term I addressed that area with local board. So I know there's key concerns because I live right in that area. Uh, I've been living in this community for a number of years and I drive this area multiple times on a daily basis uh, as as a community constable. So I see that, you know, solving the problem of safety, we need safer streets and just simply banning vehicles from streets doesn't make them safer. It just loads congestion on arterial other roads. So you need to be looking at the actual design of the streets where there's speed cushions, uh, islands that divert traffic from one side of the road to the other to help slow them down, those sensible decisions to reduce the speed of vehicles. And unless you're a local, you're not going to be using those streets anyway. Uh, I don't think that uh, blocking off streets in our communities is the answer. I am an advocate for cycle safety, and I know that a few months ago, or it's probably a year ago now, we had a cyclist killed up in Royal Oak, which is a very nasty. A young lad on his way to see his grandmother was killed. Uh, now, yeah, I think that, yeah, earlier this year, I think that was yeah. Yeah, it was very, very, very sad. Mm. Uh, and again, one thing I don't like uh, hearing is members and of our community using these deaths as an excuse to, pr- to uh, promote their agenda, where in fact they're not don't know the full circumstances of the reasons behind these incidents and fatalities that we are having. They're using the excuses of uh, fatalities as a point to push their agenda, uh, which I think is completely wrong without knowing the complete facts. 
Uh, cycle safety is very key uh, for our community as well and pedestrian safety. And we're trying our best to try and implement projects that will bring that safety in and enhance our community at the same time. Great. Well, we might leave road safety there for now because I do want to spend a little bit of time on climate change, which is another area we've heard a lot about on this podcast, and the fact that council needs to make changes to support the climate. Would both of you agree that that is a major challenge for our city? Yes. Yeah, to some degree, yes. Okay, great. So can you tell me about CNR's priorities when it comes to climate change? What kind of initiatives um, do you think council should be thinking about to make a real difference? Well, you know, it's interesting because um, uh, six years ago, when we first came on the local board, um, one of the first things that we put up as a team was to look at the replacement of the um, boilers at our swimming pools to replace them to solar. Um, And at the time, council said it was too expensive um, and they couldn't possibly do it. Um, Six years later, they're imposing um, or looking at imposing, you know, a number of initiatives, um, both on residents and um, business owners um, that, that, you know, at a time of COVID, um, you know, it's... um, it's it's just another pressure, I guess, on on Aucklanders, um, and and I bring that up because you know councils councils got money that um, retailers and business owners and residents these days don't have access to. They don't have that that um, that bucket. Um, I, and I know we've got a restricted budget at council. I understand that, mm. but six years ago. There were less restrictions, um, and back then it was decided it was too expensive. So the point I'm making um, is, you know, as as a local board, as a, as a team, um, we've been climate focused for for quite some time. Um, you know, I've got solar panels on my house. You know, it's not something um, we're naive to, but it's about um, doing it in the right way that brings people along on the journey, um, ensuring that there aren't unintended consequences. I mean, um, one of the conversations I had recently with the Penrose Business Association around the electrification of um, commercial vehicles, particularly trucks, um, you know, we've we've got an issue with, um, not with Transpower, but with vector infra- infrastructure. Um, you know, there, there's, I won't even go into the detail of what that could do to Onihanga um, in terms of the, um, uh, you know, our existing industrial um, uh, businesses who who are you know the the heart or one mm. of the hearts of Wanihanga. Um and so so yes we we do believe that things need to happen um, and and there are um, some great steps happening in terms of you know the electrification of of buses um, you know what we're doing with the ferry fleets um, you know the um, subsidies towards public transport I think is a is a great start. Um, I'm not pro um, free public transport, um, but you know I, I also think there's a lot of mixed messaging. Um, you know, at one time we're saying everybody should be taking public, or everybody who who can, let's get it right, should be taking public transport or cycling or walking, um, and on the other hand. As local boards and and gov- and even central government, we're funding people to get driver's licences because we're saying if you've got a driver's licence, you're more likely to get a job. You know, so so we, we've got a long journey to to go on, and we're in a situation where the government has set a, a, um, a target of 2050, and Auckland Council have reset one for 
Auckland at 2030. Mm. Um, and, and do, you know, Auckland has suffered. We're, we're still suffering. Um, yeah, I, we're, we're not, um, we're supportive of, of taking steps to address it. Um, and actually just, you know, naturally things will start to happen. I see more and more people driving um, electrical vehicles around. I mean, that must be making a difference. COVID itself has more of us working from home these days. Um, I think there's things, you know, bring the community to the conversation. Let's start having conversations about the starting of school times and the finishing of school times and those sorts of things before we actually start, um, you know, making decisions for people and for businesses that um, destroy the livelihood of who we are and the, and the heart of who we are. Mm. Um, you know, it, it, I, I guess it's just a balancing act. And I, I'm, I'm quite concerned that some of the proposals that are put forward um, are really um, on, on the verge of, um, you know, some consequences that I'm not sure as a city we're ready for. Mm. Dom, would you sort of agree with that? Uh, that yeah, I, I, agree with, I agree with everything Debbie said. And again, it's a bit, before, bit like putting the, the, horse, the cart before the horse. Uh, we need to ensure that we've got adequate infrastructure before we start implementing all these uh, electrical vehicle uh, implementations uh, and again, charging stations and things like that. And again, look at how we're going to be producing electricity that's going to be needed uh, for all these electrical vehicles. Again, uh, other issue that we may have a, a problem with is putting all eggs in one basket. Uh, if we went totally green with totally electric everywhere, what happens if the the, or the process breaks down? What are we left with? So we need to do this in a gradual approach and bring this with our uh, bring our communities along on the journey to implement these changes. Uh, another, you talk about the climate. The biggest thing I have for this area is uh, some of the pollution in the area. I think we need to look mm. at that. Tidying up our harbours, making sure we're clean. If we're a clean green New Zealand, we need to back that up, and we need to concentrate as much on. The issues in the past is what we do looking for going ahead. And again, I know only hunger we've got one of the most polluted streams in the country. Uh, we used to have a fertiliser work in Tapapapa many years ago, and we're still mm. seeing the effects on that in our harbour. So there's a lot of things that need to be addressed, I think, locally in relation to pollution that will help the ecological system for the area that need to be looked at as well. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, actually, because I, I, I was interested to read that among the CNR policies is a desire to encourage all producers of waste, uh, that includes commercial and industrial, to reduce, reuse and recycle. Totally. I was curious just to ask, uh, what can what, what can a local board do to encourage that kind of activity um, within the community? Deb, did you want to ask this one? Sure. So um, we were recently part of the Onehanga Recycling Centre that opened down... Um, uh, in Victoria Street recently, um, and that actually that work actually came out of um, a, a project that our team initiated um, called the Strategic Partnership Fund, which um, the the group that are involved in managing that and actually putting in the application to to see that to fruition um, were mentored and supported through the Strategic Partnership Fund. Look, I don't, I don't have all the solutions, but I do think it comes down to community ownership and respect for our surroundings. Um, and the more people come on, um, you know, uh, I, I call it active citizenship. Um, and that's where we all have a role to play in our community. Um, and the more we can do to encourage that, and, the, you know, that, that is about, um, you know, reuse, re recycling and, and um 
doing what we should do with our waste rather than putting it in the wrong bins. I mean, some really simple decisions. Um, we can all make a difference, but it, it's not actually just us sitting, the seven of us sitting around the local board that can make those um, big changes. It, it relies on the whole of community. Yeah, nice. Great. Okay, brilliant. Well, um, uh, we'll move on to the quick fire round. Uh, so just to explain how this works, I've got eight questions for you. Um, we'll do them in alphabetical order. So I'll ask a question and then Debbie, if you want to answer first and then and then Don. Um, and we'll begin with the first one. Which suburb do you live in? Onihanga. Uh, I'm living in Onihanga uh, and I've also got a property added to Durangi. All right. Uh, when was the last time you used public transport? Well, I'd planned to use it on Friday um, because I had a um, meeting in town. That's my preferred way of, of getting into town. Um, but I work predominantly from home these days, uh, so I, I, don't, um, I don't have much need to catch public transport or to drive too much. So, um, yeah, I, I, I use it when it's the most attractive thing to do. Would that be the train or the bus uh, from where I live, from where I live, and particularly with the way the train service is at the moment from Onihanga, mm. mm. um, I can catch the 309 bus, which takes me then to Newmarket, and then I can, um, you know, it's no different to do that. It's still a changeover. Yeah, sure. All right. Sorry, Don. Yeah, I've, uh, probably the, the the train system, I've used that uh, probably the last year a couple of times, uh, mm -hmm. and prior to COVID quite often. Uh, I often jump on that when I'm working uh, through the police as well, take my dog on the train, go through the Britta Mart uh, and sometimes through the Newmarket as well and catch the train back. Just have to remember to get off at the right stop. That's a bit of an issue sometimes. But yeah, yeah the train, I yeah. think, it's very good that train service we've got uh, when it's working. It's uh, quite effective and we do have a lot of people using that. Hmm. Okay. Uh, when was the last time you rode a bike in Auckland? Oh, look, I... Um I'm not a great bike rider. I had an accident when I was mountain biking as a teenager and flew over the handlebars and landed in a gorse bush. Um, and so I've never, bikes and me are not friends. Um, <laughs> and so driving on a road, and particularly Auckland Rose, um, doesn't fill my heart with um, much confidence. So no, I, I, I don't, but I have caught a number of electric scooters um, and you know feel, feel more confident on those. <laughs> I ride a motorbike. I don't think that counts, uh, but yeah, push bike. It's oh. been a few years, but uh, I'll ride two wheels a lot uh, around the area. I've got a scooter and I've uh, got a larger Japanese CC powered motorcycle. So I realise that cycle safety is a big issue and motorbike safety as well. Okay. How often, how often do you drive? Uh, almost daily. Um, uh, my daughter goes to a Catholic school, um, which is a bit further for her, a bit too far for her to walk. Um, and, and, he, and to catch a bus for, for me to take her on a bus, um, there's actually still quite a, a walk from the, the closest bus stop to take her. So, um, we have considered it. She would love to take the bus or to walk. Um, but it's just not practical at the moment. Mm. I'd probably more to say, more like to say, how many hours do I spend driving per day would be a, a, a good answer, and a considerable amount actually. Uh, probably four to six hours I spend driving in my community every day, uh, and on the weekends are just a couple of hours, but quite a lot. I drive every day. Yeah, given, given your job, I don't think anyone can begrudge you that. No. Um, <laughs> uh, do you support light rail from Onihanga to the airport? I, I support... Um, uh, rapid transport 
Um, so a, a, a rapid transport system, whether it's light rail or whether it is a um, bus network that is, is more rapid than what we've got at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, what I'm concerned for Onehanga um, is that we are not just a one stop as part of the light rail and we are um, you know, we've got all these these lines coming in and coming out um, for the benefit of one stop. So, so that that's the concern right. I have specific to Onihanga. Mm-hmm. Yeah, much much like Debbie, uh, I think the rapid transport is something we need to look at, uh, especially the public transport interchange in Onihanga and aligning all those services together. Uh, very mindful that the light rail to the airport will incur another harbour crossing across the Mangere, uh Harbour there, which is concerning. I don't know why they didn't uh, plan for that on the planning of this new bridge they just finished building, uh, which is a dis- disappointing because I know they weren't looking at doing that. And I know many years ago we were looking at the, looking at the east-west link. Uh, but for light rail at the airport, it could bring uh, a lot of neighbourhoods together and just offer another or better service for commuters uh, right through to the area. But just the fact that we're only going to be looking at one stop and only hangar is a little concerning. So we need to make sure that those other services do align to get the full be- benefit of that light rail proposal. Okay. Uh, do you think that, you might have already touched on this, but do you think the streets in Mongakeke are safe? Oh, look, I um, I don't feel unsafe. Uh, I wouldn't walk at night by myself or walk through the park by myself if, if I wasn't with someone else. Um, but I don't think that's Onehanga. I think that's you know all of all of Auckland. Um, so there's I think there's more that we could do. All right, Don. Yeah. What well, else are we uns- are are we an unsafe community? I don't think so. I think uh, we're quite a relatively safe community. However, I think we need to be mindful about how we are exposing ourselves out in our communities. Just sensible decisions about how we're going from A to B, uh, our movements. And again, what a chop opportunities we are creating. I know for a fact that the majority of the crime in this area is not committed by locals. Uh, so that's people coming into community, committing crime and then leaving again. So that happens right across the Auckland area. One of the major concerns for residents is the, the mail theft issue we do have in the community. And mm-hmm. again, how do we address that? Very hard uh, when you don't realise you're being victimised immediately until a bunch of mail is found or you find out your letterbox has been damaged or wrenched open. Yeah. Uh, a lot of ways we can address that, uh, but yeah, I think on a whole, yes, we are a very safe community. All right, okay. Um, we've got two more questions in the quick fire round. I'm going to restrict you to one sentence for each of these two. Um, <laughs> next one, if you could make just one change in Onihanga to revitalise it uh, or bring in some sort of change, what would that be? I would, uh, it would be the um, integrated transport hub, so to bring the bus and the train together. Um, and the removal of um, the current train station, which was only a temporary um, solution 12 years ago. So it would be great to see that addressed and, and give us the train station and hub that we deserve. Great. Don? I'd like to see a, uh, an improvement to our uh, roading layout in the area. Uh, I know the road layout is uh, quite adequate at this stage, but I think we need to look at the way that traffic flows around the area to increase a safer neighbourhood for our businesses and residents. And can you tell me your favourite place in Onehunga and why you love it? And podcast host prerogative, given your fellow colleague Tony owns the good home Onehunga, you can't choose that. Oh, look, I don't, I don't think you can say there's only one place in Onehunga. I love the fact that, you know, you, you're walking down the street of Onehunga and it's, um, you know, you've got all that, that um, vibe, the heritage vibe coming through. I can 
one side of the road I can get my vegetables and then cross the street and get my fish for dinner you know it's it, Onihanga just has so much to offer um, love the fact living in the area you can drop into Dressmart during the week and not have all the the you know crowds of the weekend um, but also equally love the the dog park down at Beechcroft Reserve um, and being able to take my dog there I mean we're, we're spoiled for choice all right, you slipped a few in there, but all right, Don, your yeah, favourite place? Totally agree. I, I th- well, as, just like Debbie said, it's hard to name just one, but I think our community centre uh, is high up there, the Onihanga Community Centre, and again, also the Yaringa, and also Beechcroft Reserve, the dog park down there. Three little gems in our community, and they all offer so much to all our residents. residents. Uh, and again, they are destinations for people that not only live in Onihanga, but live out of the area as well, but very lucky to have those uh, wonderful assets in our community. Great. Okay. And um, and just to conclude, um, given your, your our incumbent uh, local board members, I want to give you each one minute to answer this question. Why should we keep you on the local board this time around? And Don, I'll let you go first. Okay. So over the last six years, we've seen a lot of projects come uh, into our community and we've got a so, we've got quite a lot we need to still achieve and make sure that we get the best outcomes for our community. I can guarantee that uh, I'll commit to working on behalf of our constituents and actually listen to our constituents. Uh, a lot of the time we want decisions that are being made for our community not being done to our community. And regardless of our political alignment, I want the very best for our community. Community well-being, safety and economy is uh, a top priority for me in this area. Great. Okay. And Debbie? Look, I think there's a there's an assumption that um, if you're part of a team, it means that you're not independent. Um, we have, uh, well, I have a very strong independent voice, um, as people would have seen, anyone that turned up to the low traffic neighbourhood meetings. Um, you know, I have uh, already proven that I um, am the voice of our community uh, if they're not happy about something. Uh, and equally, you know, I, I take to the local board table a very collaborative approach and a strategic approach to make sure we get things done. Um, it's not about just being combative, it is about bringing solutions to the table. Um, and I've proven that over the last six years. So, you know, the great thing about us being a strong team and having the experience over the last six years is we can make things happen quickly. There's not that um, that learning process that's required, learning all the acronyms and the staff and all of those sorts of things. And coming out of COVID, we really do need to hit the ground running. So, you know, without a doubt, um, the three of us should be everybody's pick if you want to see the best outcomes um, over the next three years. Great. Well, Debbie, Don, thank you so much for being with us today and for taking the time to share a little bit more about CNR's track record and priorities for our area. All the best with the campaign ahead. Thank you. Kia Thanks for listening to this conversation. If you enjoyed it, please share it with your friends and your neighbours and make sure to connect with me on social media. I'm Tim underscore McCready on both Twitter and Instagram and I'd love to hear from you. Thanks also to my producer, Josh Couch, who dreamed up Onihanga FM to bring hyper-local content to the residents of Onihanga and surrounding suburbs. I'll be back with the next episode soon. And don't forget to vote. Voting closes on the 8th of October. Mm